You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. What's up, Resonate? We are starting this series that we are focusing on really these ideas of what it looks like for us to be in the rhythm of life of working and resting and really what does the Bible say about those things? And for us, as we've gone on our journey of being a church, we haven't really talked about this um, explicitly. And so we thought this would be an incredible time to really say, okay, what does the Bible say about this kind of thing? And so um, we are a church, uh, like most churches, that operate out of an understanding of theology. And so theology and understanding of God, but an understanding of God as he works out in our midst in the world. And so when we think about the things of our lives, we have to ask, what does God have to say about this? And so everything in the world is under God's uh, control and everything is under his authority. And so when we begin to think about um, each and every aspect, we have to get to the place where we ask about work. And we ask about rest and we ask, what does God have to say about this? And oftentimes what we've done is we've created this kind of divide, this sacred secular divide that there's something that happens on the weekends and that's the rest and the worship. And then there's something that happens during the week and that is work. And those things are kind of divided out. And yet when we begin to get into this, it's a very deeply biblical idea. And I want us to explore these two things. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be diving into this. And as I've gotten to really um, do research in this, man, it is profound, and I, and I think it has an opportunity to really revolutionize um, our, our worlds and the way that we live in our worlds. As you come into any of our environments um, to worship on, on Sundays, one of the things that you see in, in almost every one of our environments was, is, is really, um, you're, you're, as you walk in, you begin to see our purpose statement. And our purpose statement in Resonate Church is connected the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. And in that, we have this understanding of the gospel being the good news of Jesus Christ. But then you have these two things that, that we believe are, are really the underpinnings of the most significant needs that you and I have in our lives. And when we think about that, the first First one is this, it's the idea of relationship or community. And this idea really begins to have all kinds of things that are packed around in it, like the idea of unconditional love that you and I need and, and we deeply desire to be loved as we are and to be accepted as we are and we have a deep need. Whether we articulate that or not, there's something in us that needs that deeply. And for us to be able to experience authentic community, for us to be able to experience the kind of friends that we can be ourselves in to be able to have people that are around our lives that we don't have to put on a show for, that we don't have to put on a mask for, that we can just kind of say, this is who I am. And for us to know people and be known by people is one of the deepest, most significant needs that we have. And so everybody, you know, one of our deepest fears is, is loneliness and isolation. And yet in our world, there's more of an opportunity um, to be isolated and to be um, really kept from deep community than ever before. In fact, what we can do is we can have this surface kind of community. We can be around people and we can interact with people on social media, but not actually begin to get into the kind of relationships that change our lives. And we can ultimately feel the 
in the sense of being known by. The other idea that I think is a significant um, need that we have is the idea of us discovering and living into our purpose, that we have been designed by God to have a deep need that our lives have meaning. And meaning um, is a significant thing that helps us to understand what, what am I ultimately aiming my life for? What is my life all about? How is it that I discover um, this? And so we talk about this idea of God's mission, that God is doing something, that God is active, and that he is in, in the world moving towards an end goal of displaying his glory. And in this, he invites us to be a part of this. And he invites us to point our lives alongside what he is already doing. And he uses us to do his work, to be able to bring about his kingdom on this earth. And that's kind of a bizarre idea, but this is God at work. We also understand um, that one of our deep needs is, um, is to to have this respect and to have this um, glory ultimately. And we look and we find that in God. And the thing that we oftentimes miss is oftentimes how it is that our vocation affects this, how, how our work affects this, and the understanding of purpose that is a deep need that's tied to the kind of people that we live out or the kind of people that we are and the purpose that we have in our lives. And all of that really begins to help us to, to, to be able to say, okay, if we have the deep need of relationship and we the deep need of purpose, how is it that we see um, our work as connected to the very thing that is one of our deepest needs in that purpose? So here's, here's what, I want, as a church, we, I want to be able to talk through this. Um, statistics tell us um, if you're here every week, if you're here um, for the, you know, for a duration of your life, you're going to spend about 200 or 2,000 296 hours in church services. That, that probably seems pretty overwhelming at this point. Like, oh my goodness, that's, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of preaching. Um, but more than that, oh, what you need to understand is you spend 96,000 hours in your work environments. You spend 96. And so the question is, how does the 2% inform the 98%? How is it that we begin to say, okay, if 98% of that time is spent in our work environment, how is it that we begin to have the Bible inform the 98% and that we begin to merge those two and begin to say, what, what, is this, what does this look like in our life? And how do we begin to understand the, the way that we live this out? I believe that we need to understand and embrace our God-given potential and our God-given limitations. And recognizing both will lead us to discover and live out our God-given calling. So as we begin to think about the idea of potential, and when we begin to think about our purpose and, and what we are doing in work and, and our vocation to be, able to, ex to be able to understand who we are and what we have to give to the world and what ultimately we're going to live out and be able to say, what is our potential? And we're all about allowing our potential to be recognized and beginning to say, hey, okay, okay, okay God, what, what is my potential? And we all are seeking to maximize our potential. But the other thing as we begin to get into this is to understand our limitations and to be able to understand what it looks like for us to recognize that in our very limitations, we begin to worship. So not only does God become present with us when he draws out the way that he's created us and it begins to empower that to affect the world around us, 
but also we begin to recognize God as Lord of our lives when we begin to recognize our limitations. And so we're going to be talking about work and what work looks like, but we're also going to be talking about rest. And to be able to balance these things together on both sides of these begin to help us to understand who God is in our life. So God is not just the God of rest. God is not just the God of, um, if we go back to this Jewish understanding of, of Sabbath or, or, or taking a break from creating, but it's also um, this idea of what we do in the world, what we produce, what we create. And in this, we begin to see that God is present and God is king and God is um, wanting to interact with us in both of those, in both of those places and allows us to discover this, this idea of calling, which I think maximizes who we are. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into um, this story um, and, and I want us to understand that the church has from its very inception had a, a really probably a clearer understanding of vocation and a clearer understanding about how we all participate from its inception than it does now because in, an, in its inception everybody was had a vocation that was not a part of any kind of um, religious or church kind of things that there was just a bunch of people that all had vocation all had callings and then over the years what began to happen is that we begin to hire people that would preach to you and people that would organize the church and stuff like that. And it began to kind of create this dichotomy um, that I think is unhealthy about sacred and secular things. But at the very beginning, everybody understood vocation as a part of their calling. And everybody understood this as a part of when I begin to follow after Jesus, here's how my work life integrates into that because everybody lived out that. And everybody had that as one of the primary ways that they um, lived in their life. And so I want to go back and, uh, and I want us to have some discovery here. And where we're going to start today is at the very beginning. And that's going to be Genesis 1, where we begin to understand what did God create and how did he create it? And what does it ultimately um, ha- have in terms of effects on our lives? So in Genesis chapter one, um, if you have your copy of scripture, we're going to be there and and really we're just going to tackle that today and begin to talk about the implications of what God did at the very beginning. So In Genesis chapter one, verse 27, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So you you have in this this simple verse here, um, a couple of things of significant repetition, right? In this short amount of time, you hear something, you hear this idea of creation and you hear this idea of image and it's repeated twice. It's, it's repeated in this. And we begin to see how this begins to connect together that you see God as creator, creating people in his image. Now, if you've been around Resonate, um, we believe that your identity in Christ is one of the most significant things for you to establish a firm foundation on identity in Christ it is really what it looks like for you to understand yourself and to be able to understand who you've been created to be. And when we mess up and understand Understanding our identity in Christ, everything else in our relationships, everything in our world begins to go crazy. Just wait, it will go crazy if we don't understand being tethered to a relationship, um, to an understanding, sorry, a, an understanding of our identity in Christ. In this, this idea of made in his image is a part of our identity. 
And what it begins to be is this, is that we have an identity in Christ because we're made in the image of Christ, which means that we are fundamentally, um, functionally, substantively, we have a soul and that is connected to us as, a, uh, as someone who is made in the image of God. So there's, there's something about us that is eternal. There is something that about us that if our body dies, it doesn't, it doesn't change um, our, our depth of our soul and who we are in our soul. But in this, we begin to see something else. It says this in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here we begin to see not only is there an idea of substantively um, that we are made in the image of God, but also we begin to see this idea of functionally we are made in the image of God. So that what God says is, hey, what I've been doing in this world, I'm creating you to be able to extend what I've been able to do. And this is a, this is a fundamental thing because what we begin to see is God helping us to see, hey, what is, what are you to be doing? So I've, I've created you. And obviously, as you read in Genesis, there is a deep and abiding relationship. There's an incredible relationship, but also there's this, there's this function or this purpose. So let's go a little bit further and let's uh, understand this as well. We go down and, um, and now we're going to be in Genesis, um, Genesis 2. It says this, it's describing the, the context and it says this, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first one is Pishon. It winds through the entire uh, land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is uh, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx is also there. Very specific, right there, right? Um, the name of the second river is Gihon, and the, it winds through the entire land of Cush. The, the name of the third river is Tigris, and it runs along the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So he's describing what he's to do, he's describing where he's to do it, and in this, it begins to have this really specific thing that he gives to him to be able to say, this is what, this is, this is a function that I've given to you. Now, as we begin to think about this, I've just highlighted this idea of this idea of to work it, to, to create out of it, to, to take and have these raw materials that begin to form something that is improved and to take care of this. And so this is this fascinating, um, this fascinating reality that you begin to see, um, really when we think about work, oftentimes we're like, oh man, this is, uh, I have to work, right? And then we work as long as we need to. And then if we can, we retire early and we stop from doing uh, work because typically this is regarded into um, what we see, even in biblical ways of being able to say that work is a part of the curse. So when you see the fall of man, we begin to see that man rebels against God. There are consequences. And one of the consequences is that we begin to see that um, it, it begins to be very difficult, that the, the land wars against the human. And this is like the curse of what happens when sin enters into the world. And typically we get that into our head and we think this is just what I have to do. And we have to you know, grind it out and we have to figure out how to, how to get work done. We have to begin to have that mentality. But I want us to understand that in this moment, this is before the fall. 
that we're looking at work and we're looking at the establishment of work before sin has entered into the world. Now that should help us to be able to have some clarity on, on this idea of how we should think through work and how we should think through vocation and how we should think about that 96,000 hours that we spend in that and how we should think about what we are to give to that because when it begins to have clarity that God gave work and that God gave this functional um, kind of way by which we are to understand our life before sin comes and destroys or ruins this idea of what we are to live in, that we are to have both relationship with God and to have purpose in his God-given, um, in this God-given functional, um, you know, uh, role that we have. So here's what we begin to see, that work is given to us before the fall. Therefore, work is a part of the blessing of God and not the curse of God. Does that make sense? So that we begin to see that what happens in, in, in our vocation, what happens in work, even that word, man, well, I've got to do work, and, and that tends to have a negative connotation. But he says, I'm giving you, I'm, I want you to work the land, and I want you to take care of it. And that word work had a blessing connotation to it and not a cursing connotation to it. Now, it was only the fact of that sin created a difficulty in that, but the actual function of that, whether it was easy or difficult, was before the fall. And I want us to get um, to that. Not only this, is that work is connected to our need for purpose. That when we begin to understand one of our deepest needs is to know that our life matters, that we create significance, that there's something that, that, that really outlasts our life, or there's something that our, our hands have created that go beyond just, um, just the things, our, even our ideas have created, right? That we functionally begin to bring into this, that it ultimately allow us to be able to say, hey, this is a part of my purpose. Now, what we begin to see is that um, things like unemployment is not just a financial issue, but it affects the very identity of humans. Whenever there's not enough work to go around, it is, it is, uh, it is dysfunctional and it is a result of, uh, of something that does not look like the image of God being displayed in the world around us. And so if we think about what we should do in, in our economy to be able to bring jobs to people and ultimately to be able to think through the lens of the gospel, how is it that we provide for people and to provide and to be able to work together so that, so that there is jobs for everyone is something that we as people should be pointed towards because it's not the idea that we should keep people from working, but we should be able to provide people work and we should provide people um, an opportunity to be able to do what functionally provides them purpose. And even if it's jobs, it's like, hey, that's the worst job. You look at, you know, um, there's a show, it's like uh, Dirty Jobs. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen um, these like worst jobs in the world, but still to spe some specific people, those are some of those things that like, you know, you, you see those, those shows and we go in and they're like, this is the worst job ever. How could you have this job? And those people are like, well, you know, I kind of get used to it and kind of like it. And you're like, how is that the case? And it's because we are uniquely made, right? And there's some things that I would never want to do that you would love to do. And that's just how the diversity of how God has made us ultimately allows us to reflect the fact that we all need to have the kind of responsibility and we have, have that need to be able to connect to our purpose. Not only this, that work reflects the image of God in us. 
that when we work, when we have a vocation, when there's something that we produce, it reflects the very image of God in us. And this is a profound thing that because it draws us to the very heart of God because it reveals who he is to be in, in our lives. And so in this, um, it, it's, it's reflection of God as a creator in our lives. And in this, when we begin to operate in his image, we are doing, pri- doing so primarily because we have a soul, but also because functionally we have a role as creator. And we cannot deny that we have a soul, but we can shirk our connectedness to God by failing to be a co-creator with him. And the Bible, here's what the Bible has shown throughout, that what God has done is to be able to say, I want you to be a co-creator. So from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, here's what God does. He creates people, and then what he does is he gives them a task. So from the very beginning, it's work the land, right? It's, it's be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, to reign over the earth. And so there's a job of authority that he's given people that reflects his authority. He's given them a job of improvement and creation, which reflects the very nature of himself, right? In the New Testament, we begin to see that, that, that God extends that and, 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 and ultimately is a part of this redemptive nature. And the New Testament takes and fixes what we see broken in the Old Testament by the fall and by people rejecting. And so what does he do in the New Testament? Jesus comes, he lives a sinless life, he dies this death for us, and then the results for that is to the very same thing as we see in Genesis. He says, I'm gonna leave, and I'm gonna hand the baton to you, and I'm gonna give you the purpose of being able to continue my mission, and you're gonna be the part of being able to take the, the, the good news of the gospel to the rest of the world. And so we see this in Genesis, here I give you this thing to be able to give you purpose in your life, to be able to be a co-creator and redeemer of the world. And in the New Testament we see the very same thing. We see the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all people, teaching them to follow me, right? And then he begins to say, here's what's going to happen in Acts 1.8, he says, you're going to go and you're going to tell people and it's going to extend all over the world, right? And what he does is Jesus doesn't stay and say, I'm just going to do here, I'm going to continue my, my ministry here and draw all people into myself. No, he hands the baton to us and says, here's, this is what you should do. I've created you for your function so that you might have the deep recognition of the purpose in your life. And this is this beautiful thing that we begin to see that kingdom wise, God creates people as creators. Get that? That God creates people as creator. This is multiplication at its finest. If you're around resonate, you're going to hear multiplication, but because we believe that it's biblical, And we believe that what it looks like is from the very beginning that God created people that are creators, that God is multiplying his efforts by creating creators. So when we think about, um, there's a phrase in the Bible that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? And really that's a, a, it's a statement that really talks about the sovereignty of God, that God has it all rigged and we talk about that and that God's, God's purposes will not be thwarted, that God is going to win at the end. Like this is what God is doing. But that cattle on a thousand hills that he owns is ultimately owned by people. 
And so what does he create? He creates people that ultimately have his purposes in mind. And this is amazing when I get around people who begin to say, hey, the things that God has given to me, I'm here to be able to, as a co-creator with God, to be able to leverage what God has given me for his kingdom. In fact, last fall, we had a group of people um, that came to Resonate Church and they're people that God blessed with financial resources. And they came in and said, hey, we want to invest right? This is how God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So we're praying, God, as we plant these churches and as we send people out, as we begin to blanket college campuses and college towns with new churches, how do we functionally allow that to happen with the resources that you've given us? Well, ultimately the cattle on a thousand hills are owned by people who own the cattle, who begin to have their mind thoughts um, pointed towards saying, Hey, how is it that my life is pointed to something more than just the betterment of my life? And we begin to see the generosity of people. We begin to see people participate. And this is how it looks when we begin to see ourselves as co-creators with God, that we begin to say God's method is always to be able to use his people to accomplish his purposes. And so here's the reality. We are co-creators with God. We are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, draw out creative potential, when we improve beyond where we find things, we are following God's creative, creative cultural development. I hope that you get that. Uh, one more time. We are co-creators with God. We are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, draw out creative potential, when we improve beyond where we find things, we are following God's creative cultural development. Man, doesn't that reframe the idea of work for us and help us to be able to say, okay, what does it look like um, as I do my job, whatever your job is, um, to be able to do this? And so uh, a guy that's been really influential in this um, as a church in New York City, and obviously in terms of work, um, and in terms of work as an identity, in terms of a pitfall of being able to say, because there's two ways that we can have pitfalls. One, we can begin to think of work as something that we want to do the very least of and to shirk that, or we can have work as our identity and we can use it as an idol. Both of those are, are, are pitfalls. In, in, um, in, in Manhattan, where Tim Keller has a church, um, he, he sees a lot of the work as identity. And here's what he says, um, his definition of work. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. And I love this because it helps us to understand as co-creators, as people who are alongside God, we begin to see this idea of work as rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Now, it could be that you are in a business, uh, you're in a service industry, or, or maybe you're, you know, and you're trying to help the chaos of um, maybe systems to be able to be functional so someone can use them. Maybe you're an educator and you're trying to create the, all the information out there and you're packaging that in a way that leads to human flourishing to be able to understand things. Maybe, uh, maybe you're, uh, you, you, know, you design houses and you're trying to figure out how it is that uh, the, the raw materials of a house could be used to functionally be able to help someone. Whatever it is that you do um, that is something that you begin to say, 
say, how is it that I, my work is taking raw materials, taking chaos and creating order that benefits mankind, that benefits people around me, that begins to point towards God's creative realities in the world around us. We don't talk about this very much, but what happens is this, this idea of flourishing and to be able to say, hey, and when I do this, I feel God's pleasure. When I do this, I understand that I've been uniquely created in this way. And we'll get into that in just a minute to be able to say, how do we begin to see ourselves at work here? But what I want us to caution against is the one thing that will ultimately destroy a biblical understanding of, uh, of work. And it's that one thing that, um, that I think is crept into our culture and even into our churches and that's the idea of individualism. In fact, um, I was reading a book that talked about um, the theology that we see and hear in our songs. And they begin to do this massive study of all the lyrics of modern songs in churches and basically said, okay, what we're beginning to see is the radical individualization of our faith. That almost all songs that we see have this me and God kind of thing and this, 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 this radical emphasis on this personalization or individualization. And even I was going back and looking at ways we talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel. And when we tell somebody about the gospel, oftentimes what happens is we reduce the idea of the gospel down to simply individualism and how this benefits them. Now, functionally into our world around us, that's, that's the, one of the easiest ways we can say, hey, this is why this is relevant to you. But I wanna, what I want us to understand is that latent individualism that has continued into our churches and continued to be a part of our theology destroys our understanding of work because what it does is it takes our understanding of work and it makes us take and say, okay, this must be just about me. And so when we begin to think about our vocation, what we consider and how we operate is radical individualism. And so this idea of individualism fights against this biblical understanding of work because it takes and puts us at the very center and says, okay, what is it that I'm going to get out of this? How is it that my vocation is not for human flourishing, but for my own benefit? And when that happens, what, what, what we begin to see is, um, again, here's a quote by Tim Keller, a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interest. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. I think this is a profound statement that he makes as he begins to help us to understand that when we begin to take and overlay this idea of work as primarily self-actualization or self-fulfillment, what we begin to have is this, this expectation of work to do something for us that slowly crushes us. That we begin to have ex an expectation of work that if it's not fulfilled, ultimately, is, is a deep disappointment and then we begin to loathe our work or we begin to hope that work will ultimately accomplish something that was never intended to accomplish, that would ultimately fulfill our deepest desires in the, in the places that only Jesus can fulfill. And so therefore we, are, we keep asking work to do something. Okay, we just need to change jobs or change bosses or change opportunities and we keep doing this and we miss out the very things that we're trying to do and the actions of this are ultimately related 
related back to causing human flourishing and not just for our own self-fulfillment. And so it becomes a calling. It becomes a purpose for our life. It begins to take and fill some of those deep holes within us. If we begin to reimagine this as a co-creator with God, ultimately doing something that benefits the world around us and not just ultimately trying to say, I have this void. I want to fill it with something and I'm not going to look to God to do that. I'm going to look to my vocation to do that. Or maybe what my vocation gives me, power, money, materialism, all of those things. If we begin to think, hey, this is how I begin to think about my job, then it's going to crush you. Now, for those of you who are in college and for those of you who have not yet entered into like the work, work world or maybe some of you millennials that really haven't yet, you think you have, but maybe not yet. Um, just jokes. Um, this is that thing for you to be able to the very beginning to have your theology of work clarified. Because if not, you're going to have this like idea that you're going to do something and it's just going to be the most amazing thing and you're going to get crushed. Your first boss is going to have um, expectations on you and you're going to get crushed. You're going to think that you're going to you know, have way more vacation and can go travel and you're going to get crushed. You're going to have moments where um, you're just not emotionally ready to go to work and you have to still do it and you have to produce and you're going to get crushed. And what's going to happen is that um, ultimately there's going to be a deep dissatisfaction that begins to happen if we don't begin to recognize that our work has to be connected to a calling or ultimately it's going to crush us so in this I want to give uh, four thoughts on on how our work and Christianity begin to merge together and and really a future idea of what this could look like for us and, and so here are four things that typically when people think, okay, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm spending 96,000 hours in this workplace, here's, here's oftentimes um, four different ways that people begin to think about this. And, um, and so let, let me walk through them. And, and let me just say, none of these are wrong, but if we only think in one of these categories, they're incredibly incomplete. Number one is this, ethics. So... My faith gives me, an eth- gives me ethical clarity and a moral compass. So oftentimes if we think, okay, I'm going to be a believer and I- I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to integrate into some sort of a work life, what- what's going to happen is, um, is that by being a believer, what this is going to do, my- the purpose of being a believer in the workplace is ultimately to give me moral or ethical clarity. And so therefore, and this is good, right, um, for us to be able to think about as we enter into the decisions of our, uh, of our industry, of our organization, and to be able to think about what's the right thing to do that oftentimes, you know, if the goal of business is to make money, um, there should be parameters around that that we do not violate. And that when we violate these things to simply make money, that is not in the image of God. That is not um, a part of the reflection of God. That, is not, that does not lead to human flourishing. But... When we think about um, the idea that my faith gives me moral or ethical clarity um, in, in, in our past, this has been really how people begin to say, hey, because I'm a Christian, here's how I act in terms of ethics and moral clarity in my job. And again, really good. I mean, the worst thing in the world is someone who proclaims Christ and has um, you know, moral ambiguity or begins to have ethical shadiness. And that person is, is a direct um, contradiction to the Bible. And yet this is incomplete. 
We also have, um, when we think about, okay, my faith at work means that I have good news to share with my coworkers. So if I'm a believer, if I have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has radically reformed the world, and I'm going into this context, and, and, and God has ultimately put me here and put the coworkers around my life, that my job, uh, ultimately what, what it means to me, for me to have faith at work, is that I would bring this evangelistic um, um, orientation into, uh, into my workplace, or I would begin to have this understanding of me being someone who shares my faith and shares the good news with, the, with my coworkers. Again, to be able to have something as significant as the gospel and yet not communicate that with your coworkers um, as, as uh, you know, we show the Penn and Teller clip um, where... Uh, I can't remember which one it is, it talks about how much do you have to hate someone um, if you know uh, the answer, if you believe the answer to the greatest need in your life and you fail to tell them that. So it's a, it's a thing where we can begin to say, okay, how is it that we live evangelistic lives where we begin to tell someone of our greatest hope and not keep that from them in our workplace? Not only that, we begin to have this, this third idea that when we begin to see the merger of faith at work, that it's an idea of enrichment, that faith at work means that I'm connected to something deeper and gives me perspective and allows me to maximize my potential. So this is this idea of enrichment and, uh, and taken to extreme, it's almost like this, uh, this idea that, man, when I pray at work, uh, it allows me to not have the highs, highs and lows, lows. And I know that there's something greater and it allows me to be able to have perspective of how my work um, should affect my home life and how it should affect my emotional world and allows me to be able to say, okay, how is it that I prepare for this? And, and how is it that my, um, my centeredness with God maximizes my potential and, uh, and it's this idea that my faith enriches my work because of the idea of being able to have um, my life, my interior world, my inner world, um, you know, significantly informed by, by God. The last one is this. Um, it's, it's this experience that faith at work connects the purpose, um, the purpose God has designed uh, me for and allows me to creatively participate in his kingdom. And this is this idea that it's beyond um, just ethics, it's beyond just evangelism, it's beyond just enrichment, but there's an experience in God that happens that I'm connected to the very purpose of God and I'm connected to the very idea of being a co-creator with Christ while I'm at work and in his, and being able to participate in extending his kingdom on earth through the things that I'm an expert in. And so uh, in this, what, what we begin to see is this beautiful picture um, of really how God has designed um, all of these things. But I want you to get that oftentimes if we don't, if we're, not, if we're not careful, we can begin to say, oh, it just gives me ethical clarity or it just gives me evangelism or it just gives me enrichment or, or even just gives me um, this, this idea of this experience of God without the other ones. It's in the entire idea but we have to understand that all of those things have to be present, but especially this last one that I think is lacking, to be able to understand that the experience that we would have is to understanding that the very nature of God gives us a worldview that begins to affect everything else around us. That when we begin to think as God would, as if, if Jesus were in my workplace doing my job, what would he say um, in my world? What would he do in my, in my context? How would he begin to operate this? And so 
Um, so what does it look like for us to put all this together? And what does it look like for us to be able to say, what is it, how do we understand um, what it means to be Christian and what it means for us to do this? And so you've probably heard us, or you've probably seen us do this um, uh, just a, a few times, but I just want to give you just an idea of how all of this fits together and how our vocation begins to connect with all of these different things. And so um, I'm going to draw this out here and we'll see if this, this works. This would be God's priorities. And so I'm just going to put God here. And if we think about God's priorities in the world and we begin to think about what, what it is that God is about and what it is that God is, is ultimately trying to reveal to the world around us and his kingdom and his glory, um, we have to consider that in terms of our vocation and begin to see, well, okay, what, what is God up to? Um, not only that, as we begin to see um, um, the world around us or the culture. We begin to see the needs that, that, that are there. So there are needs. And so that gives us, in terms of what, whatever industry that we're in, it gives us this clarity of um, being able to say, okay, there's, there's needs out there. There's things that, um, that humans aren't flourishing in. There's chaos that, need to be, that needs to be refined. There's something that needs to happen in order to bring value to the world. And we're always trying to think through um, what is it that is not being done that ultimately can be monetized uh, in terms of business um, to create something. But also we think we need to figure out what are the deepest needs and and how is it that we begin to orient our life on solving the, the deepest needs? Um, and, and as believers, man, there's some jobs out there that actually don't solve deep needs. And for you to be able to say, how is it that, um, that what I'm doing is not actually helping people to flourish or is not being substantive enough to be able to say, hey, this, this is what I want to point my life into. I want to point my career towards. But the other thing is this, is when we think about uh, not only that, as you begin, sorry, that's another great circle. But this is you. Um, as you begin to think about um, you and how you've been uniquely made, and, and we've tried to, to help our, our people to understand over and over that God has designed you on purpose, that he's created you to be a co-creator. And in your createdness, he's created you uniquely. And as he's created you uniquely, there's something about you that, is, uh, that you're better at. And we talk about what are you better at than 99 other people in the room? What is it that you're better at than almost anyone else? And I talk about, I, you know, I, I say that to people and here's what happens. I ask, hey, what are you better at than 99 other people in a room? Like, what, what are you the best at? And almost everyone struggles at first to answer that question. And then like, and then begins to say, I don't know, maybe this. But I want you to know, like, there's something about you that you're better at than 99 other people in the room. And that thing, when you begin to discover that thing and you begin to recognize, hey, this is really easy. And oftentimes we can't recognize it because it's so easy for us. Whatever that thing that we're really good at, it's so easy for us that we think it must be cheating. We, we, and we downplay our gift because we think, oh, I, that's not really, I, like, I don't even have to try to do that really well. And so we begin to think it's not that worth, worthwhile because we didn't have to really work that hard for it. But if you discover that thing, begin to recognize um, something. And so what I want us to get is this, that right here, whenever we begin to see this, this is the sweet spot. And this is that spot where we can say, how is it that we point towards the priorities of God to the needs of the world and to be able to understand how God has uniquely made us. And, and to be able to, 
to kind of form those together and to ask, what does it look like for us to be able to to be able to seek that out. And one of the things that I love doing is to talk with you guys, um, whether you're in college or you have a career, about the thing that you're an expert in. I love asking people um, about the thing that they're an expert in and to be able to hear the nuances of what they know and the expertise in their field. But we all have those things. And the question is, do we understand that about ourselves? Are we pointing those in the, in the understanding of what God's priority is? And to be able to say, hey, is this needing a cultural world need around us and to be able to ask this. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out um, what it means to be to be a, um, a, a Christian in, in, in the workplace. And, and here's what I mean by workplace. This is not just um, those of you who have jobs that are, uh, that are, that are paid, but I'm talking about um, anything that we do um, that we would consider, hey, this is our job, this is our, this is our calling. That might be paid, that might be unpaid. If you're a, if you're a full-time um, stay-at-home mom, like, that's work. Uh, that's, that's work, that's some hard stuff, right? Um, and so whether that, that should be valued equivalently to, um, to women who work and are full-time mom, but they have a career outside of the home. Um, and for us to be able to understand that this is not just isolated, there's, that there's none of us that this doesn't have something to speak to. If you're a college student, um, or you're gonna orient your life to this in the future. And for you to be able to understand why are you doing what you're doing right now, whatever major you're in, whatever kind of context you're in, what are you doing to aim? your life towards in that way. And so for us, as we begin to think about this, um, I I want us just to land on this idea and to be able to ask uh, or say, our vocational calling is connected to the way God has made us and opens doors for us to join him in this creative work that is done for him, for his glory and for the sake of others. And for us to begin to to kind of internalize that and ask, what does it look like? And so this week, I'd like to ask you the question, what am I creating? Um, what am I doing that's causing human flourishing? And my hope that you, is that you're discovering um, who you are and how with God you can begin to experience um, his presence, um, not just in this context, but in the 96,000 hours that are going to be spent outside of this and creatively figure out how you can extend the kingdom of God with the thing that you're an expert in. And for us to understand that this, like we've, we've talked about at the end of the, or you've heard like at the end of the life of your life, no one says I've spent more time in the office, but, um, but, but I want to reframe this. At the end of your life, will you wish that you had plunged more of your time, your passion, and your skills into work environments and work products that helped people give and receive more love? And can you see a way to answer yes to this question in your current career trajectory? And for you to be able to say, how is it that I begin to point my life Um, towards an understanding of work? And how is it that I begin to understand that what I'm doing with my life is actually related back to being a co-creator of God and in him you feel his pleasure as you begin to take and form out of raw materials of chaos something that flourishes around human qualities. This is for all of us. We begin to think about Jesus who was a carpenter and Jesus who worked with his hands but ultimately paid the price on the cross that we might be able to have both a relationship with God and ultimately discover his purpose. 
and that he has come into this world and he has created a pathway for us to know a God who gives us everything that we need from the unconditional love to a significant purpose to aim our lives at. This is my prayer for you. Let me pray. God, I ask that you would take and help us to have a robust and comprehensive understanding of work, Lord. Not that it would take and discourage us, not that it would take and weigh us down, Lord, but you might be able to allow us in the 96,000 hours that we just spend in work, God, to be able to have deep abiding joy, that we might be able to find your goodness, that your presence, your, uh, your love, and we would find deep purpose in those things, Lord, that it would, might give us joy, that it might give us peace, Lord, that we might find our fulfillment and deep satisfaction, not just in the time that we spend away from work, but even in the work that we have um, with, with, our, with the gifts that you've given us, Lord. Make it me so, in your holy name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.